Hi, I'm Nikki LaCroce, and you're listening to the Who the Fuck Podcast. Inquisitive, authentic, unapologetic. A show designed to create connection, fuel compassion, activate change, and figure out just who the fuck you are. Hey gang, you're listening to the latest episode of the Who the Fuck Podcast. Today we're joined by Maddie Ace, host of the She Be Red Podcast, content creator, and mental health warrior. Today, Maddie and I are going to chat about our experiences confronting our mental health. But before we get into that, Maddie, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm like so excited to be on the show. And as I was just saying to you a little bit earlier, you know, it just feels like talking to an old friend. So it's going to be super fun. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy to have you here. We've been talking about it for a little while and it's great to actually be able to bring this to fruition. So one of the things that you refer to yourself as and your audience and my dog just shaking over here. No worries. Um, <laughs> you refer to yourself and your audience as mental health warriors. So can you tell me how you came up with that term and, and what that really means to you? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I coined the term, it was a few years ago now, but I originally felt like anybody who is struggling with their mental health is a warrior, you know, where somebody who are, we're fighting against ourselves or fighting against the system. We're like trying to do what we can to, I feel like just, just find some light, like find some healing. It is a, it's a really hard process. So the word warrior came up because I was trying to kind of honor the, their bravery and trying to honor the journey that they're on as well. So the word warrior just kind of stuck, but I will say as I'm kind of going through my journey and I'm entering a new phase of healing for me, I think the term warrior I want to maybe soften it just a little bit as well because I'm noticing that like the rest and the integration and the softer part of healing is also really important so I'm kind of going through a little bit of a transition I think with that I think that's great I love that that you are evolving with how it fits and I think that that's a really smart way to consider it too because you're right you know there is a big part of it that requires us to fight and move through things with a strength that sometimes we don't necessarily have or need or want to have to experience. So it's nice to think about how that really fits into the overall health, uh, mental health component for each of us. I, 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 I'm curious to see what the new phrase or adapted phrase might be. Yes, I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when we first spoke, you know, we bonded over the shared idea that our ability to live healthy and happy lives begins with self-awareness and self-acceptance. So tell me a little bit more about how you reached that perspective. So I think for me, this goes back to stuff that I wish that I was taught at school. Like there is a, I've got like a whole book on things that I wish we were taught at school. And I think two of them would be like self-awareness and self-acceptance. I think when it comes to self-awareness in particular, it's so important. I think so much of the time we exist as human beings for what is external to us, you know, whether that's work or school or achievements or, you know, other our relationships with others. But we weren't really taught about having a relationship with ourselves, you know, like how are we feeling? What is emotional awareness like what how does that enter your body you know how are you carrying that every day so I think that self-awareness in particular is is important especially through the healing journey that's a really good point too that you know I mean there's a litany of things I wish we had learned in school (laughs) that, that we didn't and I do feel like that call out about really learning how to build relationships with others but not totally having 
the context for how you cultivate that with yourself and maintain that and strengthen that with yourself. It, it really is something that has been widely overlooked. And I think that's part of why we have such a hard time addressing mental health today because we didn't normalize it when we were younger. And instead, in a lot of cases, we were inclined to, you know, keep things inside so we didn't have to experience difficult emotions or we had no understanding of how to regulate our emotions in times that were trying for us, good or bad. And so it's it's interesting to consider where that is something that falls short both academically and also within our homes, because I, I think that speaks also to who are the people who raise us that also teach us these things. And if they don't have that, how would they know to apply that to their child and their own growth? Totally. And I think the older generations, you know, again, when you think about like what they had to deal with, um, I think about my grandparents, you know, like my grandpa went off to war and then you come back from war very changed, you know, and there's there's a lot of like having to hold a lot of trauma and PTSD and things like that. So obviously passing those kinds of communication skills or lack of communication skills onto the next generation is going to happen you know, through the process of anybody growing up. And I think me and my mom talked a lot about this because she actually went back to school to do, to be a therapist. Oh, that's cool. I was 18. I know. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's actually been the most beautiful gift because now we can kind of sit down and chat about things that happened in in my childhood and kind of rewrite them a little bit. And my mom is learning things about her childhood. So it's been a fascinating kind of intergenerational healing that we've been going through as a family. That's incredible. Um, And and more power to your mom for really acknowledging that and doing the work for herself too, because I know how hard it is for people in our generation, but I see it in, you know, my parents and, and people around their age, you know, who there's a lot of, I think, fear in acknowledging those feelings. And at some point, I think that, you know, a lot of people just figure, well, I've gone this long, like I don't really need to dig it up now. And, and so I really admire, uh, you know, the fact that your mom said, I want to know more and I want to dig into this. And then to have that propel into a strengthening bond for your relationship is even just so much more beautiful. Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I'm very aware that this is not a common occurrence, <laughs> in families. <laughs> you know, and I think part of the hard, the, well, part of the journey and the hard part of the journey is that there's so much shame surrounding it because you don't want to feel like, you know, anybody did a bad job or you're accusing someone, you right. know, like there's, there's a lot of worrying about like, you know, you're walking on eggshells. And so it's, yeah, I'm very, I'm very lucky in that sense. So you sort of opened the gate for my next question quite nicely. So you're, you're obviously very open about your own mental health journey. Uh, in particular, you've cited a moment where you've experienced a breakdown and how that overall impacted your life. So could you share a little bit more about that turning point for you and, and what led to that moment? Yeah, so... For I had a really awesome childhood. I feel like I was loved really well. I didn't experience trauma until I was about 16 years old. And I went on a family vacation and my family were all ill. They all got sick. So we had to come home early. And it was just a a situation where it just kind of changed everything for me. It wasn't like a choice. It was like I came back and all of a sudden I was really afraid of people getting ill, specifically vomiting. My phobia is a a vomit phobia. So 
it was, I don't quite know how it happened, honestly, but after that event, everything about the world became more scary. So I started developing, my breakdown didn't happen right away. I started developing a lot of habits and routines and rituals that I believed would protect me and the people that I loved from, from any harm. And so things like, for example, you know, you're, you're the most thought about actions, which are like, you know, germ removal, so antibacterial hand gel and wiping things down and being very careful and overcooking meat and things like that, you know, so really trying to manage the risk internally. And again, it just kind of was a, an automatic process for me. But then things started escalating and I started doing behaviors that were more, we call them like mystical thinking, where, for example, like if I saw a drawer open before I went to bed, my mind would go, well, you have to go and shut that drawer or somebody in your family will get sick. And it Oh my gosh, it. no, I, oh, I'm sorry, no, but okay. I sincerely understand that feeling. I yeah. used to feel that way about like if my toothbrush were like in a weird position and I'd go to bed yeah. and I'd be like, it's fine, just leave it. And I'd be like, no, I can't because what if something happens? And that's the whole reason. Like I've offset the universe by the way that I put my toothbrush or the way that I said goodnight to my parents in a different order. You know, it's like you you start to put yes. this immense pressure on yourself to control the flow of the universe. And you're like, that's not realistic. But you can't like you can't identify that when you're going through it, especially at younger ages, I think. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, you have no idea. And I think looking back, like I had kind of little habitual things that I was doing in, in my childhood that kind of spoke to some of that, but nothing that was like, you know, dangerous or, or disruptive, I should say, to my life. But between from when I was 16 to when I was 18, this just kind of kept building. And before I knew it, I had a routine that was like 45 minutes long before I could go to bed at night. Wow. So, yeah, it was a, it was just the craziest time. But I also... I also had a lot of like the compulsive thinking, you know, too. So I'd have like a lot of flashbacks and a lot of nightmares and things like that. So I think my energy just, you know, as time went on, I just got, I was carrying so much more and more and more. And then I was just so exhausted that one day when I went into school, there had been a stomach bug that had gotten around. Yeah, I went to school and there'd been a stomach bug that had gone around and somebody told me about their experience and I just couldn't hold it anymore. So I ran out of school. Like you can imagine, I think our school was something like a quarter of a mile long and I just like bolted <laughs> all the way out. And I called my mom to pick me up and uh, I didn't leave my house for three months after that. Wow. And I think sometimes when people hear the word breakdown, they think that it's a huge big scene you know, like they, you know, this kind of drastic event. And mine was a very small moment, a very small conversation that I just couldn't get past. And I just got too tired of carrying everything. And that's, you know, I decided that the safest thing for me to do is to not leave my house. Well, it's interesting that you make that distinction about sort of how we define the term breakdown and, and the connotation that goes with it, because I agree with you. I, I do believe that there's that implication that this is a, a monumental moment and it sort of just all explodes in, in one event when in reality it's about the pressure that was continuing to build for you that you didn't know how to manage properly because most of us don't. And then ultimately that converges with the reality that you're living and you sort of can't 
delineate between that fear that you have and objectively looking at the situation for what it is. So, I mean, I think that all makes sense to me as far as what that process was like for you, because you you were experiencing that every single time you went through the routine that you did, right? Like you're dedicating this time and energy and effort to these habits. And in doing that, you are putting this really unfair amount of pressure on yourself to make sure that everything is okay and everybody's safe. And I get that completely because I am absolutely the same way just by nature, I think. And so I can empathize with that and also understand why it would take bits and pieces of things to get you to that point where you you sort of cracked finally and were like, I just can't do it anymore because I've been there, you know, and, and when you're on the brink, you you don't really know you're there. Um, you know, it's like, right. it, it's yeah. sort of like you, you know, you've been dealing with stuff. You're, you're sort of like existing in your life and it's fine. But then all of a sudden, you know, it, it does tend, I think sometimes to be the smaller things that set us off because, you know, the big things you, you have a bit more, I don't know, maybe it's expectations when like something big and traumatic happens. I feel like I sort of just go into go mode and I deal with it. But when something is lingering and I'm holding on to that and I'm acting like I'm fine, even though I'm sure I'm not. But like maybe prior to now, like I couldn't even tell you that I wasn't fine. I felt for all ways that I could understand, I felt fine. And then this tiny thing happens and it sort of just like takes your life and throws into a tailspin. And you're like, holy shit, like I didn't realize how big that was for me. So it's like, it is big, but it's, it's extended too. you know, it's not just like everything comes to a crashing halt. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think too, there's so much when you think about what energetically you have to go through every single time you have a trigger, you know, like it's, you know, you have something going on in your mind, then you have to make a physical action. And that triggers this fear again and reinforces the fear. And so you're constantly being drained. And I think that's the the thing that a lot of people don't realize. And that's why everybody says things like, you know, you don't know what somebody is going through yeah. by looking at them. Right. So it's like this constant churning. And then it's like you're running a marathon and then you just can't move your legs anymore. That's um, a really good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just and I think that's that's part of it, too. And it's it's also part of the healing process. And I think that's the other thing that we you know, have to really acknowledge as well is that all of this is like energy input, energy output and trying to find a balance that's kind of healthy. But when you're in those phases, especially leading up to a, a breakdown, you're completely the, the energy is being sucked out of you all the time. Yeah, I, I can relate to that completely. I I feel like the older that I get and the more therapy that I do, the easier it is to sort of recognize those things as they're happening and handle them more responsibly, um, you know, as far as our emotions go. But, you know, there is still a challenge for us as human beings to regulate those emotions and, and to prioritize them too, because sometimes, you know, we, we bury the things that are painful for us, whether they're big or small, because we have to prioritize other things in our life. And this comes back to sort of the start of this discussion, which is this idea of self-acceptance and self-awareness. Like these are super, super important things because in order to help yourself and to heal yourself, you have to know yourself. And if you are too afraid to 
go into the depths of who you are, then you will continue to struggle. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, I struggle a lot even as I'm discovering who I am. At the same time, I can feel the growth and I can witness the growth. And I have people telling me that they're seeing it too. So there is this, you know, massive upside to it, but it takes a lot of courage and and strength and patience with ourselves to be able to get there and first acknowledge it and then to ultimately begin doing something. So when you think about that moment and how you felt, you know, really entrenched in those emotions for so long, when and how, I guess, did you ultimately make the choice to say, like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, this doesn't work for me. This is hurting me more than it's helping me. Well, I think what happened with me was that when I left school, I was really lucky that I had a really great support system. So I had a boyfriend at the time who was just amazing um, and who, you know, had known me for years. And so I, I didn't go into this alone as a teenager, like so many people do. And I also had a really amazing teacher who wanted to support me regardless. So he didn't want me to miss my exams. These were our pre-college exams. It was the, the year before you go to college. So yeah. I would have had to retake the whole year again if it wasn't for him. So I had even through the lockdown, the shutdown, the staying indoors, I had this kind of continuation of normal life. And I think that that kept a little bit of hope alive in me. And I think it was about three months later where, you know, we'd gone through like Christmas, um, we'd gone through like these holidays. And I just remember sitting in my room and like looking at myself in the mirror and being like, I am literally living in like an, a very small bedroom right now, this can't be all there is. Like if I, if I don't get this figured out, I can't go to university. Like, how am I going to get married? Like, how am I going to travel? Like I, I wanted, I knew that I wanted, there was a fire within me that was like, you want a normal life, you know, like a bigger life, to be able to a bigger life. Yeah. A, a life in general. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just not being shut indoors. I didn't want to be afraid to go to the grocery store. And so I I just remember being like, I don't know what to do. And I went to my mom and I was like, I need help. I just, I need help. And we, it's not that we hadn't done anything previously, but it, I think our, our time frame within that was so much. It was like, okay, practically, how are we going to make this work with school? You know, those kinds of things came first. And more then, logistics. Yeah. And I, I don't know why that was. I think it was more of a case of like, I needed some of this stuff to keep me going. And then I could say, I could have some space and just be like, okay, I need to, I need to tackle this. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to ask people and and talk about is what does healing mean to you? Because I, I know that a lot of times we hear the word and we think to ourselves, that means you've solved the problem. And the more I go into my own journey of self-discovery, I I feel like healing is a lifelong process and it's more about productive healing and the ongoing effort to continue to help yourself through that healing. Uh, Do you share that opinion that it's a lifelong process or do you have a different perspective? Totally. I think 
I think that there are some people who can go into a program or go into therapy, and there are some things that people can be fully healed from. That is not my experience. For me, healing means process. It means an active process. So being really engaged and curious, it's a journey, you know, and I think this is part of it. For those of us who have like a long-term mental health diagnosis, which is the majority of people, I think. Most likely undiagnosed. To, <laughs> right. A ton undiagnosed too. And and just in general, when it comes to like the human experience, you know, like being mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually healthy, ultimately, I feel like needs to be an integration of all of those things together. hundred percent. Right? This goes back to the conversation we were having about self-awareness. So really what we have to remember is that healing is an active process. It's one that changes across our lives because we inherently as people change across our lives, right? Our situation changes, our relationships change, the the, the experiences we go through, the mentors we have, the, the mistakes we go through, like all of these little things make up who we are and our mental health has to kind of ride that journey with you. So I think when I think of healing, it's like, it's a continuous thing that I'm always seeking for me. I mean, you know, we go through, I go through periods of, of, of like pause, I should say, and rest, but yeah. ultimately, absolutely. It's not an end destination at all. It's about finding connection and peace within yourself and, and finding the things that work as you travel on your, your journey of life. Yeah. You stated that so perfectly as far as seeing it as a process and, and how you work through that. And I particularly like that you also made the comment about giving yourself space to rest and exist also in a space where the emphasis isn't always, you know, must be moving forward, must be making progress, must be healing because yes, like we want that, right? Like we want to know that we're continuously working towards that, but in order to heal effectively, at least in my own experience, I feel like you do need those moments to reset and pull yourself out of sometimes the the hardest work that you do, you know, um, to, to get to a place where you feel more like yourself or more regulated, it, it takes energy. And so if you wear yourself, it's it's like with anything else, like you can wear yourself out trying to heal. And I, I've done yeah. that. Um, I have a really great knack for it in that I, I think now I can definitely point to it and be like, yeah, it's probably a little bit of my ADHD where it's like something traumatic happens. And I'm like, I'm going to consume every piece of content that exists and figure out how to get myself through this and anybody else who is affected by it. Here's a three books that I can already recommend to you. They've been delivered by Amazon by 8 p.m. You know, like it, it's like I really yes. just go like sort of in this spiral of like must consume information and understand. And once I understand, then I can work towards fixing. And and I think that sometimes that's beneficial and sometimes it is like a complete tailspin. And I'm like, why did I do that to myself? So, you know, it is again, it's about knowing yourself and being able to say, you know what, I've put this energy and effort into this, you know, today or this week or this month or this year. And right now I need to step back and give myself some space to say, you've done a good job. You've done the work now, like sit with that for a little while. And I think when we get ambitious about things like that, it can be really hard to stay patient because especially I, I think when I see progress, I'm like, oh, I can totally do this. Like, let's keep going, you know? And sometimes it's like you said, it, it's just because, you know, I'm running doesn't need mean I need to be sprinting. Like, you know, I can, I can pull back a little bit and give myself a chance to really embrace like 
what has occurred so far. So do you feel like for you, when you recognize that you need a moment or a break, that that's something that you not only sense mentally and emotionally, but like also physically, because I feel like I get a lot of like physical manifestations of my anxiety that sort of trigger me to realize like, Hey, you need to take a beat. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm like sat here. I know I said yes quite a lot, but like I'm nodding to everything <laughs> you are saying. Yeah. No. And I, you know, the discovery of the importance of the physical self within the healing of the mental and the emotional self is something that I have just kind of learned in the last year. I am very similar to you that I am like, something happens to me now. And I I have books upon books upon books. I have therapists, I have coaches, all kinds of things. And I think that part of it was like a survival mechanism, especially for me anyway, with school and just being so determined to get to my exams and passing them and going to university. And that has traveled with me now through everything. So Yes, absolutely. I'm an overachiever when it comes to that. And my body- I'm the greatest healer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm like, I can do this. I know myself. Like, you know, it's like very self-driven instead of like listening to everybody else. But what I haven't been listening to is this like physical version of myself who is always talking to me and I'm never listening. And I think that part of this disassociation, part of the, the struggle of having mental health issues is that you almost like either segregate parts of your life, but you also segregate parts of your identity sometimes. And so like, you know, for me, it was like, okay, but I need to heal my mind, my mind, my mind. And then like realizing, oh, I have chronic illnesses that probably came from this whole process. So I should probably like address those. And instead of just taking medication to like numb the symptoms or whatever, it's now a case of like, she like my I always kind of refer to my body as like a separate person like she is like screaming like yo you need to rest yeah (laughs) you've just had a year of a global pandemic when you have an illness-based phobia like it is okay for you to just like take a breather yeah but yeah it's 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 exhausting but it's so when you start listening when you feel like you can when it feels safe to you and sometimes people need to guide guidance of that and help with that if they especially if they have physical trauma you know but our bodies are so wise they're so wise you just have to know how to listen to them yeah I completely agree with that and similarly to you in the timeline in the last year or two I've really become a lot more aware of what the physical recognition that I have when I feel anxiety is and this idea that you can sort of catch it as it's coming which is they say that don't they like your body usually knows yeah your body usually knows more about what's going on with you before you do totally and it's funny because I I feel like your gut instinct you know it's something that we all hear we all talk about and I'm somebody who I feel like I have a very intuitive gut instinct but I also don't really have it for like good things like you know like financial endeavors things like that like no like that's not where it it, it intuits it's more that I know that something bad is going to happen or has happened and so I now have to train myself to say okay am I experiencing that physical feeling because there is legitimately a threat 
Or am I experiencing that feeling as a response to the trauma that I experienced when I did actually feel that threat? And to try to, you know, suss that out is no small task. And it really requires a lot of emphasis on that recognition of not just what you're experiencing emotionally, but where your body goes in those moments too. Because my panic when it sets in is like so, so heightened. And I just start to feel like, really tense and I'll start to like get super warm and then I'll feel like this massive pit in my stomach and I'm like something's wrong you know and so like when that gets validated it's hard to convince yourself that it not it is not always valid oh absolutely yeah absolutely and you know have you done any like past selves like inner child work before yeah so I I don't know to um necessarily what extent um, you're asking, but I would say, yes, I've absolutely had to address my, my younger self um, as part of my therapy. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I think to be honest, that was like one of the most eye-opening things for me is like, you know, we're continuously carrying with us our, these past versions of ourselves. Yeah. And for me, I think part of being able to tune into that was, you know, like we think about this, like visualizing who this person was and like, okay, I'm, I'm different now. Like I know that I can take care of her. I just need to tell her that. And it's like this inner dialogue, you know, I learned a lot about this, like in therapy and this is work that my mom's done a lot on too. So we've, we've worked like we've spoken about that a lot, but I think it's just so fascinating to know, like when we're, when we are experiencing something that it may not be like who we are in this moment, freaking out about it. It could be a past version of ourselves who's showing up and being like, Hey, just got to remind you what happened the last time. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, shut up, bitch. I didn't ask you. Right. Right. And she's like, just the, Hey, I'm just trying to warn you. Like, it's just, you know, but it's, it's, this is how it comes out usually is like in somatic symptoms and we have somatic memory. So it's, yeah, it's a habit formation, I think, to, to stop ourselves. And that's kind of the beauty of, of therapy and all of these modalities of being able to like learn what the pause button is and how to, how to push it and and how to sit still with yourself long enough to actually understand what it is that you need. Yeah. And so it's like re- reprogramming, I guess. That's ex- exactly what I was going to say. It was like, you basically have to rewire your brain and it, it, it's scientific fact, right? Like that's one of the cool things about, you know, the human brain and body and our emotions is there is a lot of information about this and we're living in a time where so much more of it is available and accessible to us at uh, with relative ease and so a lot of it is if you're willing to put in the work, you can you can make a lot of progress. And I think that when you really consider how much we hold on to from like our younger selves and, and these parts of our lives that feel so distant, it's it's almost a revelation when you finally come to grips with it, because I feel like one of the biggest things that I've struggled with as an adult, which I didn't realize at all was a huge problem for me, was so I came out to my parents when I was 19, I think. And it was not like the most receptive response. We have a good relationship now, but it it wasn't like ever this scenario where they were disowning me. It was, I mean, they'll claim the generational thing. I always sort of chalk that up to like a, like a cop-out response. But I literally, it came to this year for me to realize, and I'm 35 now, so like 16 years later for me to say, when that happened, it hurt me so deeply and we never talked about it after the fact because I was so hell bent on just getting through that really painful period in my life. And then when we 
you know, we're rebuilding our relationship. It wasn't a topic of discussion. And I didn't know myself enough back then to be able to say to them, hey, in order for us to have a positive relationship moving forward, this is what I need from you. Because like this sort of acceptance that is not spoken is better than what I was getting, but it's also not really what I need. And you have to be able to look at yourself and say, hey, you know, is what I'm feeling something that I can I can change or, tr- or try to do something about? And sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. And with my parents, it literally took me, you know, lots of therapy this year and then getting to a point where I actually was like breaking down about something else that had happened that was super traumatic and because I was trying to figure out how do I talk to them about this? How do I how do I bring this up again when it was so uncomfortable to begin with? Like I have tightness in my chest thinking about it now. And this is like one of those moments, Maddie, where it's like, you know, when you're talking about something that makes you anxious and because you know your body, you're like, oh, here it is. It's coming. There it is. And you can acknowledge it and you can kind of put a pin in it and keep going. But you're like, damn it, it is still there. And, right. and it was like, I basically got to a point where it was like a breaking point where I essentially said to myself, fuck it. Like, I am just going to say to them, this is why it's hard for me to talk to them about a myriad of things, because it's not about politics. It's not about, you know, our relationship right now. It is about how I still feel about something that happened 16 years ago that we have never spoken about. And in order for me to move forward, I need you to acknowledge that. And it it is something that is daunting and painful and scary. And at the same time, you know, I think the benefits far outweigh the consequence of being true to ourselves and honest about what we need, especially with our loved ones. Because, you know, my parents, as the day is long, will say, we will do whatever you need. We love you more than anything. And at the same time, you know, I've had the conversations where it's like, I'd take a bullet for you. And I have to be like, okay, this is an emotional bullet, you know, like step up, show up for me. I need you now. And it requires us to also have patience and and grace for people who aren't in the same place that we are as we might try to navigate things with them or or try to help them see who we truly are rather than who we used to be. Um, and I, I think that especially with parents, like that's a that's such a challenging dynamic because, you know, if you have a good relationship um, or not, it doesn't mean that like there aren't things that, you know, either they did or didn't do that might have hurt you. And, you know, we constantly seek that acceptance from our parents. So it's I think that's one of the hardest relationships to manage when you're going through something like that and sort of like reparenting your inner child. Um, so you have a, I, I'm really in admiration of your relationship with your mom that she's like in a place where she's like, yes, let's sit down and talk about this. Um, you know, because professionally speaking, like I can absolutely take, take this in and, and consume it and, you know, respond in a way that's meaningful. Whereas I feel like for me, it's sort of this uphill battle where you're like, okay, First, I have to try to explain how I'm feeling in a simple enough way that doesn't scare them. And then I have to figure out how to say the thing that I say so then I don't make them think that I'm telling them that they're bad parents. And so it's like you you sort of have to start like coaching yourself through that. And it's just a whole process, I guess, is what I'm saying. Right. It's like that experience brings us back to these times in our lives where we felt like we didn't have control and we have to convince ourselves like we're adults now. We can take the reins and we can show people who we are and what we need. Totally. And there's like a couple of distinctions there. And first off, like, it's awesome that you were able to get to a point where you can do that, because I think that 
you know, it's so brave and it's so vulnerable to go back to a memory that was painful and try to reprocess it. And I think that this is the distinction I always say to myself is like, you know, there's the experience and then there's the processing. And then the processing itself can be split off into two ways. Like, am I processing this through my body? Like, am I processing this outwardly, like through creation or like creativity or something? Or is this something that I can also process with another person? And that's one of the things, part, one of the parts of that is, you know, like a relationship with a therapist, for example, that can, you know, you could, there's so many different activities and things that you can do without having to go to your parents. But then it's also like, you know, is that next step something that is safe for you? is something that um, you are releasing expectations from too, right? Oh God, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. You're like, come on, be better. (laughs) Right. Like we have like innate expectations just from how we're socialized and how we're bought up. But at the same time, it's also understanding that people don't know what they don't know. Totally. And I think that's something that I, that lesson for me has been so huge just like knowing that like sometimes I can approach something and, and I'll, I'll get shut down or whatever. Never with my mom. I, I will say, um, just in, in case she's listening. <laughs> I, hope, I hope she listens. I applaud your mom. I'm I, sure she will. Mad props to her. I'm, I, she's raised a lovely woman who has uh, so much uh, insight to offer the world. And, and so I'm grateful to your mom for that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Me too. She's so wonderful. But I think, so, you know, I, and I, I think the, the biggest thing is just like figuring out, you know, how, how can you process in a way that's going to work for you? And sometimes it's having conversations with people and sometimes it's figuring out how to work through the emotion yourself too. Yeah. And, you know, it raises another question for me, which is, you know, I know that you're a writer, podcaster, singer, and overall creative soul uh, because of what you do for a living um, as a content creator and marketer. So do you see those activities as a form of catharsis or, or what do you do? do to help regulate your emotions when you're feeling off center? I think what I'm doing is I'm returning to basics. So one of the things that I will say is that as a content creator, it is really hard to create content for yourself. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) Like it is, it is so much easier for me to come up with content plans and maps and overall goals and all that kind of stuff for my clients. And then when it comes to me, I would like sit at the laptop for two hours and just be like, Okay. <laughs> do, do you feel like that's because it's hard for you to look at yourself through the same lens? Because I feel like that's the problem that I have is like I I'm not somebody who like I aim to toot my own horn or like I want to self-promote. But then there's also like you have to self-promote. So like it's an uncomfortable place for me to be from like an insecurity perspective where I just sort of like freeze. Yeah. And I think I have to distinguish between the metrics and the creativity. And this is kind of what I mean by going back to basics. So a little history on me, you know, I grew up in a very musical household. My parents, they're divorced now, but they met at music college. So I have that in both sides of my family. That's cool. I have Um, two tone deaf parents and I am a very, very (laughs) poor singer in the car, but you will hear it. Good, good. Belt it out anyway. I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) But so I played piano when I was growing up. My mom's piano teacher. So and and this was just how I learned to express myself. I think I wrote my first song when I was like 11 and experienced my first heartbreak. Oh, that's so cool. yeah. And I and I wrote music all the way through my teens, like all the way through my breakdowns, like everything. It was just a way that I could it's just a way that I could express, but I think that like very physical act of like singing something as well, like it released a lot of tension from my body. And then 
all of a sudden, this kind of stopped when I got into my previous marriage, which was actually a very toxic relationship. And I stopped speaking. I stopped speaking out. I stopped writing. I stopped creating. I just felt like I stood still for a few years while I tried to figure out what on earth was going on. So coming back to like myself and coming back to creativity and it not being about like what metrics am I going to hit for my clients or for myself and coming back into it more with like, okay, well, what do I want to say? And and how do I want to put it out there? And what color do I want to use? And, yeah. you know, like getting back into like basics of like, okay, what am I enjoying about this process? Because creativity in itself is a process. So right. it's figuring out, you know, are you still finding joy there? And I think that's the question I have to keep going back to, um, you know, like for me those those activities are only really cathartic when there's some form of like joy in it um, yeah if that makes sense oh it totally makes sense and a really beautiful answer too because you're right you know even yesterday I was part of what's really great about being by myself in the mountains right now with very little um sense of <laughs> life around me is that there's time to sort of sit and and actually be with myself and and say like well what can I do that's going to make me feel good for me and even just writing out like a, a google doc last night like how do I feel right now how do I feel and just like free form like letting it flow because if I don't do that I'm going to just keep distracting myself also with like activities instead of that processing so I I agree with you. There's a balance for those things where sometimes it is just, you know, to see what comes of it. And it doesn't have to be something that you use um, or something that gets a ton of likes or clicks or whatever. But you also I, I think when you have the passion and you have the creative outlet, you know, in a lot of ways, it can become, you know, organically give you all of those things that you would pay attention to, you know, as far as metrics go just because like your heart and your soul are in it. And, you know, obviously you have to play to the algorithms, but like if we exclude that and it was really just about passion, I do think like a lot yeah. of us create our best content when we've given ourselves, you know, a break from the pressure of creating the content. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and, and also figuring out, you know, especially as like a mental health activist and mental health content creator, it's also figuring out like, what is that line between like, am I still processing something that I'm trying to talk about? Or am I in a place where I can talk about this from like quite a grounded place? And I think sometimes I get, you know, stuck on that because I don't always know. And because we know that healing is, is evolving and, and like movement through these things over time, like there's never usually like a very clear cut line either. So don't you like, wish, don't you wish to just be like, and now you're done. <laughs> like, <laughs> like give me my certificate. Yeah, my totally. <laughs> Go you've, my way. You've made it right. through. Congratulations. On to the next one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, I wish, but I will say that like learning all of these new tools and like, branching out and trying new things as well can be like you said you know once you start seeing some of the progress then the relief that you get from that as well is like so it's so worth it isn't it yeah oh oh my gosh a hundred percent and I've said this before you know this podcast has been a godsend to me in this past year especially because I am somebody who craves human connection and to be so isolated for so long has been, 
it's not even that it's it's so difficult to not be around people physically. Like there's definitely elements of that that are challenging. But I really feel like what has kept me going has been being able to still like meet new people and have new conversations. And one of the things that I feel is super beneficial about the way that we live and how technology supports us today is that even through a global pandemic, like you can meet people all over the world and have conversations with them and see into each other's hearts and understand each other more. And and now more than ever, we need those things. We need to remain connected uh, regardless of, of distance. And in some ways, I truly feel that having, you know, this time physically apart from so many people has created more relationships that have, you know, kind of jump started from the virtual world. And these are relationships that maybe we wouldn't have had the time to cultivate before, or we wouldn't have thought to cultivate before, even to the degree where my team at work, like we have a weekly, weekly happy hour that we start at the beginning of the pandemic. And our team's grown a lot, but we always have people attending it. And I, my parents said, well, that's probably, you know, hard because you you can't go out and grab a drink with people. And I said, well, yeah, except I, I get that. And I agree, like having that human interaction is is necessary in three dimensions. But what's super cool about it is the people who live in way different places are all coming together and we are able to get to know each other before we meet in real life. So it actually sort of opened a lot of us up to new relationships that we didn't expect. And, and I think that when we go to that place where like we can find the creativity and the catharsis and it just starts opening other doors for us too, because like creativity allows you to connect. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Especially like in our line of work too. And it's so hard. I found connection through this time really difficult actually. And I've had to really be intentional about it. And I think that like even with friends and family, you know, for me, there was like a really long period where I was like, I, I'm finding Zoom calls exhausting, like everybody is, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying it out loud and I'm like, yeah, everybody has Zoom. Like, that's just what this year is. But I do think that there's uh, the new relationships that I've really cultivated have come from those creative outlets, you know, like just starting my podcast and starting to talk to people and, and reaching out and being part of like a coaching group, for example, like I made some amazing friends there. And I think it's just, it's figuring out a way that you can find balance. And this is the hard part though, about being online that I'm really working on is that again, that like, what's the looking for? Like that distinction between your mind and your body and my body was feeling so lethargic yeah. from all of the work that my mind was doing on social media. So it's also figuring out like, okay, how many, uh, you know, I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm actually very introverted. So like, meeting too many people at once can be overwhelming. Like that's my, just how I'm made. So it can be the same online as well, which is one of the reasons why I try and take things a little bit slower, I think. But you no, know, it's been like a real journey figuring that out. Yeah. It's like a new form of relationship building that you have to figure out and setting boundaries for yourself, which is super important. And it's funny because I feel like generally speaking, most people would say, oh, like you're super extroverted to me. And I genuinely love talking to people who are engaging kind human beings. And at the same time, like I just said to my boss earlier, because I don't drink anymore. And I said, you know, I used to put this pressure on myself. Like I had to have a drink so I could be social. Like I wouldn't just talk to somebody the way that I am totally sober. And I said, so, you know, 
more often than not, it was this like unnecessary pressure I put on myself. But then, you know, if I'm going into a room like at a conference or a networking event and I'm the only one that I know there and I'm like, oh, God, I have to be around all these people and I have to find the right person to start a conversation with. Like there is nothing that pains me more than having like a conversation that feels like pulling teeth. I just it pains me physically and I know that I can be a lot and I can tone it down, like, you know, to try to meet people where they're at. But sometimes you're like, there is no substance here and I need to get out of this situation. And it's like, so right. for me, it's like when I connect with people, like I'm there and it's happening and I'm here for it. And then there's times where I'm like, oh, my God, I can't be around people at all right now. It's stressing me out so much. So it's like I, I heard the term ambivert, which is like, you know, you're introverted and extroverted. I'm like, that seems accurate because it's like I really <laughs> I'm really extroverted with the people I want to like be that way with and then there's everybody else who I'm sort of like please don't contact me <laughs> like I'm like yeah. I don't want to talk to somebody on the phone I don't want to interact with somebody in person like I just want to like it can be transactional with everybody else <laughs> yeah I get that I get that um yeah so, no I'm an introvert through and through I gotta say do you know do you know what I do you know what I love though is I I feel like so many of my friends and and my wife as well are are self-proclaimed introverts and I'm always like, really? I don't understand. Like, we just click and we talk all the time. And it's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm like, am I too much for you? Because I feel like this is a lot for anybody. <laughs> no, not at all. And I, you know, I think this is like part of it too. And just like figuring out what your baseline is, you know? Yeah. And like realizing like how you fit into other people's. Like my partner is, you know, she's so bubbly and um, like laughing all the time and joking and higher energy. And so I um, sometimes I just have to be like, OK, I need to like sit for 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> yeah, ho like, Hollywood relate to you on that for sure. Oh, God. I, I One of the funniest things um, that I feel like happens in our relationship is when like I just full on have no idea how fast I'm rattling off some thoughts and it's sort of like whiplash like um okay I don't even know how you started that thought let alone how you just like ran through that so quickly so I'm going to need you to pause for a minute really take a deep <laughs> breath and then like let's revisit where this even came from you know and it's like okay gotcha yeah. let's let's go back to that but so when you think about your mental health journey you know obviously we're talking a lot about healing and the work that you do to to get through it you know it takes a lot of vulnerability and courage to open up about our human experiences. Is there a moment that stands out for you as to when you realized you wanted to lean into your position as a mental health advocate and start to share your knowledge with other people to, to create a greater good? Yeah, I, I've had a few. I think, I think the first time, the very first time was when I was fresh. I'm trying to figure out like whether this is this is after university. Yeah. So after university, it was my first year after university. I was, I had a couple of jobs and I was continuing to write. And I realized when I looked back on the music that I'd written, that I had this like storyline of, you know, the beginning, the middle and my kind of embarking on the healing journey. And so I realized that nobody was talking about this. Like I'd had no classes. I, I all of a sudden kind of had this like period of clarity where I was like looking at like, why were we not taught the stuff that I was just taught through four years of therapy? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is like going back to the conversation, like we need to have mental health classes and mental health awareness classes. And but it was nowhere like 
literally nowhere. Like I don't remember seeing a TV show or anything that talked about the things that I'd gone through. And so I was at this kind of like precipice myself where I wanted to do something big for myself as almost like a like a proving that I could do this. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see something. And so I decided to put my album together and I basically my intention was twofold. I wanted to raise money for an amazing um, organization that I found in England called Times Change, which is all about mental health. And I also wanted to raise some money as well to go on this trip. And so I sold my album. I made like 100 copies of my album. Nice. And I was able to to do both of those and go on my trip. And so I think it was this like, I want people to understand. I wrote, I didn't just sell the album. Like I wrote a whole letter about my experience. I told them all about the different songs, where they came from, the emotions, the things that I was going through at the time. So I made it this, like, I wanted to educate my circle. So it was just like I said, a hundred people, but I reached out to pretty much every friend and family member I knew because I knew that people were, had a lot of questions too. Right. right. So I was, I was starting to get back in touch with people and people were like, well, where did you go at the end of school? And I was like, well, um, here's my CD, like, just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just listen to it, you'll understand. But yeah, it was this, I just knew that I was going to start talking about it. And I just really never stopped. I really appreciate that your way of communicating it both for yourself to process and to share with others was to create an album. And that it resonates with me because I would have said, uh, years ago before I was uh, heavily entrenched in therapy that I feel like I'm a pretty openly emotional person. And that's true, mostly, if I'm willing to acknowledge that I'm feeling those emotions. And when I was younger, I actually found somewhat recently hundreds of poems that I wrote when I was in you know middle school and high school. And looking back on those and being like, this is why I thought people understood that like I was in pain or what I was going through is because I was communicating it in the written word and, and showing it to people or doing open mic nights, um, even though they terrified me, because I was trying to, it was sort of like a cry for help, but like not in that it was, you know, so desperate, but it was painful and, and it was really hard. And so to go back and read some of those things and be like, Looking at that, speaking of going to, you know, our younger self, it, looking at that through the lens of an adult and saying, wow, like this is what you've been through it, in retrospect, you know, while I didn't get necessarily the it, it didn't have the impact that maybe I was hoping it would when I was younger because I, I didn't understand how to communicate it. It's turned out to be extremely beneficial for me as an adult to be able to look back on it and reference a point in my life and be like, OK, I understand why I was feeling this way. And it's really upsetting that I felt that way. But look at how I've come out on the other side of it and look at how much different I feel about myself. Because so much of what I'd written was like how I didn't feel like I could be honest about who I am. And this was all before I came out. And, you know, it was a lot of shame and fear that I felt. And it became, you know, just sort of the the nature of everything that I was creating was about this solitude that I felt and this uh, isolation around like her suffocation of my my true personality for the sake of, you know, quote, comfort, right? But in reality, I'm just like living there in this discomfort and nobody knows it. So I, I really understand why having that creative outlet and being able to use that as a tool to help people understand can be so powerful. 
Yeah, totally. I it just gives it it just gives it a different layer. And I think I've always been somebody who's kind of championed certain causes. That's just kind of my personality. And so this is just yeah, it's like an extension of it too. And then like learning more about it and hearing about other people's stories and experiences because I started opening up kind of gave me all of these new roads. And I just thought, man, if I didn't have like some of these people or some of these like inspiration or like stories of other people healing, like I would never have gotten to that point. So I just also wanted to just make sure that I was like contributing to, you know, the pool of, of things that people can look at and say, okay, you know, it is possible for me. I don't have to suffer in this way, you know, my whole life. Yeah. I really like how you said that you wanted to contribute because I think that that's what it's about for me as well. You know, we don't always see everything uh, in the same time that other people do. And sometimes we don't ever see things the way other people do. But when you have a moment of clarity and you feel like you can make a difference somehow, even if it's just something small, it really is empowering. And I don't know, it's such a great form of intrinsic motivation and just um, appreciation for yourself when you realize that you've made an impact for somebody else and, and for no other reason than that you really sought to help people in some way. And it's hard to, you know, sometimes give ourselves that attention and that praise for doing, you know, the right thing, especially when we feel like it's the right thing to do. And inherently that, you know, I don't need to pat myself on the back for that, but a lot of people don't. And a lot of people are really not focused on how they can take, you know, their own experiences and translate those into something to help others. And so when, when that does happen, when people are at that place in their journey, you know, I think, Uh, much like yourself, you feel a responsibility to say like, you're not alone in this. Absolutely. Yeah. When you felt that darkness too, you know, like, yeah. And and you found the light, you know, you found some light from someone. It's, it's the most important thing to get people to start thinking about their healing. And so, yeah. Yeah, so important. I love that you said it that way too. It's like, yeah, when you have that darkness within yourself and you felt hopeless maybe at points in time and you see somebody who might be feeling that way, you want them to know that there is, there's more to it than what you're feeling in those moments. And that can be some of the hardest negotiations to have with yourself because you rationally can be like, this won't last forever. I'm not always going to feel like this, but in those moments, yeah, it feels like that. You feel like that, that moment is your life. Exactly. Isn't that a quote? Like be grateful for this moment. This moment is your life. Something like that. It's from, I know it's in a movie, but I don't remember which movie and I'm not going to try to attempt that right now. But um, (laughs) so are there any creators or, you know, authors, musicians, artists, et cetera, you know, that have inspired you to take the leap that propelled you to where you are today, uh, you know, to be able to say, this is who I am, vulnerable and creative and here to help. Are there people that you look to and, and think to yourself, like they did that for me? Oh, yeah. I've got a few specific books that have really helped me and just like understanding who I am, because, you know, like we were saying earlier, like mental health is so much more than than just um, like managing your brain. And I, and I will say, of course, like there are chemical imbalances and medication is amazing. But, the, and I, but I also believe that the best thing you can do is really fully understand who you are and get really curious about it. And so I started doing some reading and I read a, a couple of books. I, I saw an interview with Alanis Morissette. Now, 
Alanis Morissette is like one of my absolute favorite people. I grew up like listening to her album. I'm here for know, a like- jagged little pill. <laughs> I was just yes. I was just watching the pop up video. Do you remember those on VH1? They used to have like pop up music <laughs> yeah. videos. I was just watching the one for you learn the other night. I was like, I'm just gonna go back to the '90s for a moment of nostalgia. So I'm here with you. Continue. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, she did an interview with Oprah, and I remember her talking about learning about her personality and she mentioned something called the highly sensitive person and it's a book by somebody called Elaine Aaron and I always wondered why I felt like I took in so much information all at once whenever I entered an environment and why you know parties can feel really overwhelming and all that kind of stuff and I loved the way that Elaine Aaron talked about like our sensitivity as being something that's actually not a weakness at all. Like it's actually such an amazing thing to be able to like take in that information, but it also requires a different level of self-care and resetting your baseline. So just realizing that about myself is so huge. And so that's one of them. The other one is um, the desire map by Danielle Laporte. So thinking about like setting goals for yourself, but also asking yourself like how you want to feel on a day-to-day basis. You know, what are the emotions that you want rather than just the stuff you want to achieve? And like all of this stuff isn't necessarily like mental health specific, but I just feel like the concepts are things that have been super healing for me. I love the idea of focusing, you know, sort of that to-do list on not just tasks, but actually, you know, the, the feelings that you want over the course of, you know, some period of time, because we don't really tend to think about our future emotions in that same context. And you make a really good point. You know, I feel like that just sort of shed a light on on the concept for me, which is, you know, I get really overwhelmed and stressed out when I have a ton of stuff to do. And it's like, okay, well, how I want to feel today is not totally stressed out. So like, what can I do to help maintain, you know, my emotions in a way that feels comfortable and healthy for me, as opposed to just looking at like, oh, well, frantically, I have to get all these things done. But like, if I pay attention to how I feel, and I'm monitoring that to some respect, or sorry, to some extent over the course of a day or a week or whatever, like, how much can the way that I operate change to my benefit if I just if I just look at that absolutely yeah I think it's probably the most potent form of clarity that we can really have because I think sometimes we think about you know I thought very early on you know I just want to get to university I want to get these grades but actually what I wanted was to be able to enjoy learning again and to enjoy spending time with my friends and start my journey into like full on adulthood as like an independent woman. But like the way that you reframe things, I think sometimes change your priorities. And um, especially when we have mental health, you know, like we're so worried and full of shame a lot of the times that we don't think we think about what we don't want, but we don't always think about what we do want or what we you know, what we strive for, we want our lives to look like and feel like. And that, again, gets us in touch with like our bodies and the sensations that we feel and the, you know, the the emotional process that we go through when we enter something new. So I think it's, yeah, it's one of my absolute favorite concepts for sure. Yeah, I I really like that you made that point too about how we often think about what we don't want to feel and not as much about what we do. 
And it's, I mean, for me, I feel like that's a defense mechanism, right? Like I don't want to feel this way. So I'm going to protect myself from feeling that way as opposed to, I want to be enlightened and find, you know, joy in this and allow myself to appreciate it. And I think that comes to the point of, you know, I, I will tell you, I've said it a million times before, I'm sure on this show, like when my therapist, when I first started seeing my therapist and she, you know, would talk to me about being seen and being in the present, I'm like, yeah, whatever. And now it's like, it really is true, right? Like, and I've said nothing gives you a violent shove into the present like trauma or, or extreme, you know, pain through your mental health or however it might be. And when you have really no other option but to sort of stare the day in the face as it's coming at you, you you have to make that choice. You know, you have to decide, like, how am I going to go through today? Because yesterday was one of the worst, like, hypothetically, yesterday was one of the worst days of my life. Am I going to wake up today trying not to repeat yesterday or am I going to wake up today trying to feel better than I did yesterday? And it's a process to get there and it's not easy um, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a, there are a lot of bumps in the road on the way as we go through these healing journeys. And sometimes, you know, we get to a place where it feels like we're good. And then you're like, wait a second, I guess I'm not. And it's OK. You know, I think we have to be forgiving with ourselves when we maybe overestimate how how much we've removed ourselves from some of the the experiences that we've had and thinking that we've moved past them. But, you know, the, the reality is, is some of these things are scars and they never fully go away. So it's about understanding objectively how you can manage that and then giving yourself the permission to feel what you need to feel when you need to feel it. Yes. All the compassion and the grace in the world is so important. Yeah. And give it to ourselves instead of just Mm -hmm. each other, you know, like I, it's, of course we want to give that to other people. And I think inherently that's who I am. You know, I want to help and make, other people's lives better and sometimes to the detriment of my own. And that's not healthy either. So I had one last question for you because, you know, I really want anybody who's listening to this to also tune into your podcast. The content's great. You have awesome guests. And like I said, you have just like a very soothing tone that I just, I I genuinely like to listen to. So how do you see the growth of your She Be Red podcast? And do you see that as a stop on the longer road ahead as far as being a mental health advocate? Or do you see it as sort of like the future of of where you want to go with this part of yourself? Yeah, this is like, this is my core and my foundation for sure. I think, yes, I want to grow She Be Red. I would love the podcast to kind of take off, you know, it's still quite new, but I want to have workshops and I want to have events and I want to, you know, all different kinds of things to raise awareness in as many different ways as possible, but really starting to like lead to help people to figure out what it is that they're feeling and and how they can move forward in their journey and create a life that really feels good. Like that's my intention. So lots of creativity and, and um, I'm going to do like voice, uh, like audio workshops, all different kinds of things on the horizon. And I also have one of the things that I feel like is such an intrinsic part of healing is like taking a leap of faith. And so I also have like a, a, a mini book coming out in the next couple of months all nice. on like how to take care of yourself and how to know if a leap of faith is the right one for you while also like taking care of yourself through the process. So yeah, so many things, so many things. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it is, it is my baby. It is my, you know, my happy place. So definitely it'll be, it'll be around for a while. 
I love that. You know, it, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you, Maddie, as always, and um, truly appreciate your honesty and your authenticity in all of this uh, for sharing who you are and to such a foundational part of your your person because it really, I feel, helps open up my own heart and mind to, you know, new possibilities for healing and understanding myself. And I, I really believe the listeners will feel that way too. So thank you so much for joining me once we finally got all the technology figured out. And, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so excited to see, you know, where everything goes for you. And obviously we'll just keep chatting because, you know, like this is just such an organic, comfortable conversation to have. I hope one day we'll, we'll meet in 3D. Yes, I would love that. Yes. No, thank you so much for having me. This has been such a wonderful experience. And yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we we connected. We are a, what is it we were talking about earlier, you know, friendship that's come out of COVID. So. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I, I will con- chalk this up as one of the benefits and I will take it whole, uh, wholeheartedly uh, with, with gratitude because it truly, uh, you know, I, I just love the way that you think about these things. And I'm so happy to be able to be part of the conversations you're having and help uh, expand your message. So I can't wait for the the next round. I'm sure we'll be doing more than one of these. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. Of course. Well, gang, that's all for this episode of the Who the Fuck podcast. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Maddie Ace for sharing her story and her time. Follow Maddie on Instagram at Maddie underscore She Be Read. And make sure you check out Maddie's podcast, She Be Read, for thoughtful conversations about our mental health journeys. This episode's Who the Fuck for a Cause is in support of special books by special kids. If you have the means, visit whothefck.com slash donate to contribute and help support the acceptance and inclusion of all members of the neurodiverse community, regardless of diagnosis, age, race, religion, income, sexual orientation, gender, or gender expression. Make sure you subscribe to the Who the Fuck podcast on your preferred platform. And if you like what you hear, go ahead and share the love by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Share your email at whothefck.com to receive updates about the podcast, merch promos, and more. Until next time.